Hello everyone, it's Olga from SEO Sly. This is SEO podcast by SEO Sly. Today I have a very special guest, Doug Cunnington from Niche Website Project. And Doug, uh, Doug has been my friend for some time. We have been talking a lot and I am very, very excited that he, he is here today with me and will be sharing his, his knowledge on affiliate SEO, on, on niche websites and more. Hi Doug, how are you doing? Hey, Olga. Great. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. And your setup looks uh, extremely professional. It looks like more professional than mine. You know, no, now no, that I'm looking at it. it's nothing professional, to be honest. This is just my huge uh, screen uh, and I have a lot of white, uh, <laughs> white stuff on it. And it is kind of <laughs> making me good. bright because it is like dark outside. So that's basically it. <laughs> got it. Got it. Yeah, it's great. It's actually great here. Um, this is kind of behind the scenes. I don't know how you do your show exactly, but I thought I had a hard drive crash and uh -huh. I lost a bunch of data because I'm, I'm a bad person. I didn't back it up properly, um, <laughs> but turns out all the data is there. Everything's going to be okay. So great. It's great news right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy, happy to hear that. Okay, so uh, if there are people who don't know you, who haven't been following you, can you like briefly introduce yourself? Sure. My name's Doug Cunnington, and I have a couple podcasts and a YouTube channel. Uh, one of one of the shows is about affiliate marketing and side hustles and SEO. The other one's personal finance and financial independence. Along the way, actually, the first thing that I started doing was uh, blogging. So I have a site, Niche Site Project, uh, where I actually don't blog too much these days, but there's a, a lot of things that I shared in the past, and I occasionally do some updates there. So that's kind of my, my, my thing right now. And I didn't start in that area though. So I had a corporate job where I did project management in the sort of IT large scale in integrations area and software. So that's my, my history overall. And I, I put a lot of focus right now in the in the podcast, uh, actually both of them and on the YouTube side. That's great. And can you tell me more about like when you started, what year you started, what, how, how did your, your entire like path to this day looked? I'm very curious to, sure. to learn. I think it's interesting because I know it. So <laughs> yeah, it was definitely sideways. So a lot of people in our industry, a lot of our peers, Olga, they, you know, started in the marketing area or they knew they wanted to be an entrepreneur and have their own business. And they were always dabbling with side hustles. I had none of that. So I had the corporate job and I was kind of, I drank the Kool-Aid and I was trying to go up the corporate ladder and I was slowly like making my way up. Although I, I got to be honest, uh, within two years, I was already sort of like, <laughs> not enthused about the whole thing but i was like okay i signed up for this thing i'm just going to keep pushing through and i slowly like figured out how to you know do the politics and like get promoted and you know focus on climbing the corporate ladder over like doing the job so around 2013 i was trying to find a new podcast and i accidentally found smart passive income with pat flynn and it actually sounded kind of scammy, but I thought, ah, I didn't even know you could make money online. I listened to every single episode that he had probably within like three weeks. Like I said, I wasn't really enthusiastic about the job. So I just listened to podcasts all day and I would, I would just really get obsessed with a certain topic area. And at the time he was doing a lot of work in like niche sites and affiliate marketing and like AdSense sites and stuff like that. So I, I was hearing all these like success story interviews, things that Pat Flynn was working on himself. And through the interviews, I started to, you know, jump off to other podcasts and other bloggers and kind of found my way into Amazon affiliate marketing specifically. And that was through Spencer Hawes over at Niche Pursuits. He was doing a, uh, you know, a case study, a niche site project is actually what he called it. Uh -huh. And I... I got permission from Spencer to, to use the name and he was like, that's cool. You could use it. It actually fits in with the project management that I, I did with my corporate job. So anyway, 2013 within, I would say six weeks or so, I was like, I'm going to launch a site. So I, I bought a 
domain or two, tried to launch a site. I made every mistake that you could make. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was, I was hungry to do more. And I got started uh, with an Amazon site a few months later that actually did mm -hmm. great. So within six months, it made like $6,000 in like one single month. And, you know, I think over the, that six month period, it made something like 10 or 12 K. I don't remember nice. exactly, but it was enough where I thought that I was, you know, a genius and I was, I was going to be able to quit my job. Um, but like all good SEOs, I had like some algorithm issues, uh, manual penalties. It was a little wild west, uh, in those mm -hmm. days in 2013. Um, and I kept dabbling, you know, I did have like a roller coaster ride of, you know, things would go great and then everything would come crashing down. And I did, I did, got, I got a taste of like what it was like though. So I, I kept dabbling and kept trying and trying. And then 2015, I got laid off from my corporate job and decided to, you know, give it a shot and try to do this full time. And I have been for the last, you know, close to eight years now, nine years, eight years. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Do you remember how many sites have you started? No, I can make a guess and say, you know, maybe like 25 or 30, something like yeah. that. But I, I definitely created more in the, in the beginning. And then as time went on, I tapered it down. The, the more sites you have, the more stressed out you are. Yeah. There's always a little bit of overhead for each one, even if you have a team or a system to do it. So as time has gone on, I just want to reduce the number of things I'm working on. Yeah, I think I also like created around 20. Yeah, and so I think maybe two of them were really kind of successful. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, yeah. and um, there were, I mean, there were probably 10 or 15 others where I just bought the domain and like put yeah. up the basic website and then never touched it again. Yeah, so the same. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's yeah. so, it's so common, like, I try to tell people don't do that, but it's like, we all do that. <laughs> yeah. It's hard not to. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, how do you work now? So you are now, you have been like, uh, free for seven, seven, seven years. You've been your own, your own bo boss. And how do you, how do you work now? What's your main focus? It is like podcast. Do you do affiliate sites right now? Do you have ones? Sure. Yeah. So my main interest is more on the the podcast and YouTube side. Like, I mean, really when I step back and look, it's like the commentary around the industry. I have, I think two sites, one I spend a little time on one, I kind of neglect. And, you know, part, part of the reason is I did, you know, niche sites and affiliate marketing, SEO related things for probably because I started in 2013. So I probably did a good seven years of that. Even though I had a full-time job, I was putting like a full-time effort into the niche sites too. So I, I had a good seven years of just like working on it really hard. And I get, I mean, like a lot of people, I get a little bored with things. Now I, I do hear people say they have like uh like entrepreneur, like ADD. I don't mm -hmm. have that. I, like I don't jump around from a bunch of different things, but like I I'll go really deep in an area. And at some point I've, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, I don't enjoy doing the same thing over and over again. I have other friends. They, they still love doing the keyword research. They still love doing like the same stuff that they were doing eight years ago. Mm -hmm. But personally, I don't find it as enjoyable. So I have moved on to like different things that I find challenging, which you know, one a bigger topic unrelated to SEO is like happiness and like why we're doing all the stuff we're doing. And I don't, I didn't branch out and start working on my own so that I can keep working harder <laughs> and sit at the yeah. laptop for longer. <laughs> so as time has gone on and, and, you know, the piece of happiness that I'm alluding to here is like, you need to be like sort of constantly challenged. So if you figure out how to do keyword research and you really are good at it if you keep doing it it's not challenging anymore yeah, it's just exactly it, it's, it's not it's not anything new so like in, introducing new novel uh challenges uh 
really is interesting you know never anything too crazy but i keep adding a few different things a few different layers like more recently i've done uh some speaking so that that's mm -hmm. interesting because that's you know being in front of a crowd it's communication in the same way that i've been doing other stuff it's just a different format mm -hmm. so so to answer your question i have a few sites and i'm always um i'm always thinking i should probably start another in fact a recent interview, uh, s someone asked me like, oh, do you ever, would you ever do like a public case study, like build a site and everyone can see. And those are really popular that like people have grown their followings huge by doing that. And I just don't know if I would enjoy it that much and like to go through the whole exercise. Uh -huh. um, but, but that is one thing where I, I, I have ideas and I'm like, oh, this is a good niche. It's underserved. I know about it. Like I could probably do a really good job there, but I'm not sure. Like I enjoy just sitting and writing about it like I used to. Yeah, I get it. And can you, can you disclose what, what industry is your site? No. What topic? No? no. Okay. No. So, um, and I, I usually don't share and some people think I'm, uh, crazy or, uh, like for thinking that something bad could happen, but the, I, I did have something bad happen. So if, a few years uh -huh. ago, someone found one of my sites and um, actually there are a few incidents. So one of them, someone oh. did negative SEO. So they 301 redirected hundreds of domains to my domain. Oh, yeah. and they pointed, you know, thousands of links from other sites as well. And, you know, Google's pretty smart. They can tell when someone's doing weird stuff and they just don't recognize it. But you know, 300 expired domains pointing all at once. Wow. Like that's a lot. Uh huh. That's a lot of stuff. So this site actually got penalized and it, I was unable to recover it for about 40 days or so. And uh -huh. it cost, you know, over $10,000. Oh. So, so it was a lot and it took a lot of time for me to recover the site with a disavow file and, you know, working with a couple of consultants who had a little more experience and yeah it was a total nightmare so be, i think if you don't have a podcast and you're not in the industry you probably don't have to worry about it too much but because i'm kind of a i mean in quotes a public figure where people are following and there's a lot of people that have a lot more time than they do sense and they yeah. they will just make it a mission that they want to try to mess up whatever it is i'm doing so um, that was one. Another time someone just copied every single keyword that I had and just like recreated everything I had, which isn't a big deal on a small scale. I had a couple year head start, but over the course of like two or three years, you know, they siphoned off like 10% of the traffic, right? Uh -huh. So that stuff matters and it's not worth it to me to share the domains, basically. Yeah, sure. Sure, I get it. Yeah, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think I have a similar take on that. I wouldn't probably want to do a public case study because I also had had like um, not necessarily the the best experience recently when my content was stolen. So, and yeah. even recently, I again found a bunch of copies of my of my sites of my articles. So, yeah, so. This one, this one, uh, this one site has to be like public because this is like my my profile, like like in your case. But but yeah, I think I think I am similar in that respect. Right, and, and you know another piece of the puzzle here, which I tried to talk about on my show a little bit, is you know when you're getting my, my focus for years. Let me back up. So my focus for years was, um, you know, the niche authority site model. And it still is to a large extent, at least like the topic area, which I'm covering. However, the big downside with that business model is you're getting traffic from Google and you're earning from usually Amazon affiliate. Of course, there's ad networks that you can work with as well. But the big issue is uh, the Google traffic side. So especially this year in 2022, when there's been so many updates and people will lose 80% of their traffic, yeah. do nothing, they'll get it all back a few months later. It shows like, I would say incompetency <laughs> with how they're doing 
the updates because obviously if they're like trying to change back whatever they did before um they made a mistake they're trying to fix it that's my guess um either that or it's just wild swings go ahead yeah and and they just wanted to say that those mistakes cost people sometimes a lot of money stress and everything (laughs) right and from the very beginning i um, started an email list and i had courses so i like somehow wisely i'm not sure how but somehow i was like oh i actually do want to make sure i'm never dependent on one thing so if something dropped off it wouldn't be great but it wouldn't be catastrophic Mm -hmm. so at this point um after i spent a lot of time on the you know niche authority site model i still you know earn money there but I decided I like having the podcast, which is, you know, truly independent, like an email list. YouTube is great. Uh, you know, it's someone else's platform, but I, that's always in the back of my mind. Like I have low interest in the social media platforms because those are, you know, even more dependent on the the treadmill of content, yeah. the algorithms. They're based on an ad model. So at some point, you know, back in 2014, people had big Facebook pages and they had huge reach. And then Facebook decided you could only get in touch with like 10% of your audience unless you pay for ads. So that stuff will happen on the other uh, platforms. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So uh, do you have a a newsletter for your like niche website project or for your like affiliate site as well? just for niche site project currently um Mm -hmm. i have had fairly significant email lists on other sites um in the past and technically uh, one of the sites that i have now would actually fit pretty well for one one demographic of the audience Um, Mm -hmm. but i haven't put any time into it um at this point in time and part of it is just like i said i don't want to be too busy you know i have a good position where like if i don't want to work on something i could choose not to even though it could be a good profitable thing uh sometimes having more free time is better than more money yeah 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 definitely so i i have like recently started to be like fully independent and fully free with no one telling me what to do yeah <laughs> i am blissfully uh jobless if i can say right. so and I, i'm really enjoy enjoying that that and but i'm also trying to keep those hours like at some at some threshold because yeah in the past in the last year two years i was working too 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 much and didn't have time for anything and now it's changing and it's so nice (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah And, and the thing is like when you're starting off especially like you probably should say yes to a lot of things to test things out and you know you probably need the money, right? Like when I got laid off, I needed the money. So I was like, I'll do all sorts of stuff and I want to make as much as possible and I'll work um, late at night. I'll wake up really early. I'll do whatever it takes and, you know, put in more effort than, you know, maybe what I would, well, definitely more effort than I would do for a, you know, a corporate job. Um, But then at some point, like you maybe can, you know, take your foot off the brake now. And that's one of the things that I struggle with. I'm curious with you, Olga, too. So a lot of our peers, right, we're uh, networking, uh, maybe mastermind groups and some people, actually a lot of people in our space, it's like they just want to earn more and more forever, right, as much as possible, like whatever it takes. And I, I find that I don't fit in as well because I'm like, oh, I have enough, I'm going to coast and I don't have that same drive that they have. So do you feel that kind of push to like keep closing as many deals as possible or do as much as possible? So I was definitely in, in that uh, like last year, maybe maybe this year too, because I had like, a lot of expenses around around the house. But now when the things have settled, I, I I like on purpose gave up many things and I'm okay with earning half of what I was earning, but like feeling better and doing the things that I actually enjoy. So I don't think uh, I would like to trade uh, this feeling for, for more money just to have more money because 
I think money makes you happy until you reach some level when your basic like needs are met or some extra needs as well. But after that, I think it's like you're just working yourself unnecessarily right. out. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm, what, 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 uh, and so, so do you do like any client work or just podcast your sites? Yep. Uh, so no client work technically i occasionally will do like a coaching consultation kind of thing i never do implementation so it's more uh like strategy and like high level like visionary stuff mm -hmm. and i do enjoy doing that so i like i had one of those the other day and it's it's people often that are in the same place that i was and they see where i'm at and and it's actually a really smart thing to do to talk to people that are a couple years ahead of you because then you can find out if they're really happy or not. Yeah. yeah. Or um, if they actually, if they're doing really well, but they hate um, their day-to-day -day life, which then that's a red flag, right? So even if they're making a lot of money, if they're really unhappy, yeah, that's bad. And then I do have courses. So I have students, technically not clients. And to me, it's a much different relationship. And I did a little bit of client work right when I got laid off, uh, mainly around uh, link building and guest posting. And that was fine. It was actually ex extremely profitable. But mm -hmm. when I played out the thought experiment of whether I wanted to do it, I thought, ah, in 18 months, if this works, what what does it look like? And it would be a team of maybe you know, 15 to 20 people, uh, maybe three managers, and then me. And then I realized that that just recreated an org chart for my old job. So I realized, well, I don't want to do that. And then stop doing any client work. And it's just not my thing. And I, I mean, it's mm -hmm. great, you know, agencies do stuff and, you know, people need services. So clients are part of that. But for me, the business model is uh, uninteresting and I hate it. So I, yeah. I don't work with clients. Yeah. Yeah. I do work with, with, a, with a few clients, but I'm not like going to scale in any way. I don't want to turn into an agency. I cannot imagine myself like doing that and managing like a team of people. Right. But you do have some remote team that helps you, right? With yep. your so podcast newsletter. A little bit, yeah. So it's mostly on the on the podcast side. And technically I have like an executive assistant who's based in the US as well. Uh -huh. And then I have a video editor and she does some podcast editing as well. And she's in uh, Ukraine. And then I just hired in the last couple of months a new assistant in Montenegro. Oh. And uh, she's great. She does some, she's actually a, a writer. So she started off doing writing, but I know that she can do other stuff. And I know that if someone just writes constantly all the time and editing, uh, it gets a little boring, especially if the topic area isn't very good. So I am getting her to do uh, more like YouTube and podcast admin kind of stuff, or actually uh -huh. it's production um, activities. So she won't do any actual editing or anything, but she'll be, you know, working on uh, different pieces, you know, YouTube thumbnails, um, setting up all the links and then posting the podcast. So it's really kind of an administrative assistant type role, but it is dedicated in those areas. So it's actually great for her because, you know, she's still doing some writing and then she's branching out into these like big industries where mm -hmm. like, the stuff that I'm doing is going to grow. So like from a resume building standpoint, like she'll be able to say, yeah, I helped this channel grow from like where it is to where mm -hmm. it is now. And I know how to do like all these things. So. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. I still don't have such a person, but yeah, I think I, I'm going to have one soon or maybe next year, early next year. I'm still like kind of doing most of the things myself. Yeah. And, um, but it's kind of yeah. But I'm now like super happy to be doing that because yeah, I'm I'm a free person. <laughs> right. Yeah. Even though I have to do those things, but I'm doing them like 
for myself and technically I don't have to do them so I can stop anytime I I think I I, I feel like stopping yep so about your channel uh, how many subscribers do you have now I don't pay too much attention I think uh -huh. about 34 or 35,000 or so yeah and like how that. did you how, how for how long have you been like publishing so uh, regularly what's your strategy how long did it take you to grow your channel to this number I started probably in 20 late 2016 early 2017 sort of in a more serious way and then started publishing more regularly so that is roughly five years if I'm doing the mm -hmm. math right so about five years of like pretty dedicated work i technically have a few videos out in the 2014 and 15 time frame and i like i wanted to do more i, I wanted to do more like tutorials and videos but i just I, I didn't know what to do like a lot of people so i would sometimes set up uh, my camera i figured out that with my old dslr like i technically could do like pretty high quality video i think it was like 720 um back then on that camera but it looked pretty good i had nice lenses and i would i would try to do it and it was painful to watch i mean it was painful to do and it was painful to watch and i didn't know how to like i knew i could edit some but i was like i just want to try and do it in one take and you know nowadays i can like hit record talk for 15 minutes in one uh -huh. take with like no major issues and uh -huh. I can just publish it. Back then I would I would struggle to do three minutes. It would take me six hours. I would like think about what I was gonna say and then like mess it up and have to redo it and redo it. And then, I mean, it was a nightmare. So I, I got serious about it in 2016. And then in 2017, I realized that I was having hard time editing and i thought oh, maybe i can maybe i could take that part out how can i do that so i decided to do live streams every week oh. for a quarter something like that and you know one of my friends who was in a mastermind group she said that she had a friend who was doing live streams on maybe facebook or something and i was like oh well i have the youtube channel and you know i'll just do it there and I don't know for several of them it was like me <laughs> and then uh, maybe one person would come on for like a second or two and they would drop off but it eliminated the need for editing which was the big bottleneck by the end uh -huh. maybe 10 people 10 or 15 people would show up and actually i still do live streams each week uh to this day so that yeah, was a big I'm deal so how many um, episodes, uh, videos do you publish per week right now? And is it like two? Yeah, I, th I would say like two to three. So technically, um, you know, two podcast episodes come out and I, I do publish the, the podcast on YouTube as well, um, which I could talk some more details about that. But so two of those episodes will come out and then I'll do the live stream. So that kind of counts. And then I haven't uh, gotten my butt in gear recently, but I will be publishing more like tutorial, like the old style videos and like informational videos like I used to. And this is a struggle that I think maybe some people run into. So I covered a lot of these topics, a lot of topics in general in 2017 to 2019. You know, you can cover a lot of stuff and i was publishing you know twice per week back then too so there's mm -hmm. a lot of videos out there and i covered a lot of things and after you do this for a while i'm like i, I already talked about that like should i talk about it again uh -huh. people like my audience potentially should have already heard this but the thing is people you know join the audience uh every day Some people fall off every day and you don't know what they've heard so I have neglected, you know, doing these videos, even though people are saying, hey, can you do a video on keyword research? I have like probably 50 videos on keyword research, uh -huh. um, but people want to see the new fresh one because they think maybe yeah. something dramatic has changed. Um, and then there's some recency bias perhaps, but, you know, I do struggle with what I should do 
should I re-record these videos with a fresh take, even if there's nothing new? And I think I think I have to do some of those. Uh huh. Okay, that's interesting. And uh, mm, so you were basically uh, creating new videos, new content. How were you selecting the topics? Were you doing like keyword keyword research to for videos? What was like your selection, your process? Usually, it's based on questions that I get. So, actually, if I rewind, a lot of the topics that I covered initially, they were just blog posts that I repurposed or a topic that I already covered in the written form, and then I just move it over to video. Uh -huh. And that, that is what people should probably do, by the way. I mean, you've already done the work. <laughs> you may yeah, as well so... put it in a different format. They're completely different audiences. And then when I started the podcast, I actually did the same thing. And I, I was like, actually, this topic fits. I'll record a podcast about it. If I could use the actual video uh, like format and then just strip the audio out, I would do that. that. A lot of times that doesn't work exactly, so I would re-record it. But you know, you can repurpose content and no one's going to get upset with you. These are different mediums and different people. And as time went on, because I did have the you know audience in place for um, the blog, I also had the email list so I could just see what questions people asked. Um, further, like you can go and, and look on, on YouTube and see comments and what people ask there. Yeah. As far as keyword research, I would do some keyword research, but in general on the YouTube side, um, I haven't found it to be as big of a deal. It is, I mean, if you can identify keywords that people are searching for, fantastic, but I knew, um, that some of the topics and questions that people were asking about were so narrow and specific that people probably wouldn't be searching too much. A couple people would, of course, but uh -huh. I knew that the audience would be interested. And that's the cool thing about YouTube is suggested videos will pop up based on the, the interest of the viewer and what other things they watch and what similar viewers also watch. So there's a great discoverability on the YouTube side that is completely separate from keyword research. Keyword, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I love keyword research, but um, on YouTube, you, you don't necessarily have to worry about it as much because it's mm -hmm. title and thumbnail driven in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's, that's a great insight. And regarding your, uh, your uh, newsletter uh, subscribers, so how, how big of a list do you have? It's about 10,000. So, wow. Yeah, sadly. Um, well, th thanks for that kind reaction. It is, it's probably like everyone's email list is smaller than what they hoped. I do have a very mm -hmm. high open rate, uh, probably around 30%. Although these days, the open rate metrics are, they're all messed up because uh -huh. of uh, some of the privacy, uh, privacy, uh, I guess triggers or I don't know the right word, but you know, Apple changed how they're, um, how they're sending data back on the mail app. So uh -huh. essentially on Apple devices, iPhones in particular, we may not be getting the right data back on open rates. So click through rates, like you can, can tell. I have a question. Yeah, yeah. Because like recently I was using, I was using MailChimp and I had like a quite nice growth. And I moved my my subscribers list to Kajabi because I want to have like everything in one place. And in Kajabi, and I had like an open rate around 35, according to MailChimp. And once I moved everything to Kajabi, not only like few people are subscribing, but the open rate according to Kajabi is like 16, maybe 20. And I am kind of confused because I'm not an expert in that. Do you have any thoughts on that? I, I'm not sure, especially, especially with like the signups. So it could be the uh, double confirmation or lack of double mm -hmm. confirmation. It could be something in the flow, right? Mm -hmm. And then the, as far as the open rates, I moved from Aweber to Kajabi, you know, three years ago, something like mm -hmm. that. And it was consistent. Like I had the same open rates uh -huh. when I moved over. So I don't 
I don't think Kajabi has any issues with deliverability. The one thing that you should check is like the, the from address. And like if that changed and then people don't recognize the the from address or something mm -hmm. like that, they may have to like re-whitelist that yeah that's email possible address. i think yeah because it's now coming from kajabi and right. i'm still not sure if i should use my own domain or kajabi's domain because what are your thoughts on that yeah so i went with kajabi's domain so yeah i like you know they they share some documentation with you mm -hmm. about that and whatever they said they convinced me i was like oh it's probably fine to use their mail server yeah and it, it, like I said, it has been fine. You know, people get the emails, uh, but the whole point is the reporting does seem to be a little bit off. And <laughs> I, I don't know, I don't know what to do. And like one thing I did is I, I emailed all the, what were listed as sort of like unengaged subscribers. And I said, ah, if, if you wanna keep getting this, you know, click the button. It looks like maybe you haven't opened an email. And I had a ton of people reply back and I was like oh I know they opened the email they've replied back so there's oh. some reporting issue or something like that so that's um, that's good news I think for me <laughs> right so you could be you could be okay and there's a couple uh, you know deep in the weed tips that I can give you a, a listener actually let me know uh she's like she focuses in email marketing and uh -huh. she said oh you could do a couple things like um, you know, send send the email to your most engaged people that open the email like every every single time and send it to them first. And then a few hours later, like three or four hours later, send send it to everyone else and you uh -huh. should get a higher open rate. Now, I did that. I didn't really notice anything uh, different too much. Yeah, I think it's yeah. the, it ended up being the same. But technically, Google and Outlook sees more people open that specific email so when they get get into everyone else's inbox technically they should put it in the inbox more than they put it on promotions or spam or whatever. Uh -huh. but yeah. i didn't i didn't see any different i i tried it maybe for a week or two and didn't see any difference okay yeah but still yeah. Still, still interesting and how about the podcast where do you host podcast is it kajabi as well so i'm over at a company called castos uh -huh. and I signed up with them originally because they sort of had simplified billing. Now I think, you know, there's a ton of podcast hosts out there and I'm sure some of them have simplified it. But when I was looking, some of the companies had a limit on the, maybe the, the length of the podcast. So they, they were like, uh -huh. Oh, you can do four hours per month or the data size of the file so it was like oh you can't have more than like 500 megabytes or something like that mm -hmm. and i was like i don't i want to record as long as i want or if i want to do an extra episode i don't want me to be limited by like artificial but pretty arbitrary um like constraints right because data and bandwidth it's super cheap now there's no re like whatever 15 years ago maybe yeah. they should make those rules but now it's in it's insane how cheap data and bandwidth are so they should not be you know char like maybe if you're getting a crazy number of downloads then they change it so castos i signed up with them you know fairly early on i think and they had the simplified billing and basically mm -hmm. it was like unlimited time unlimited data and i think there was maybe like some threshold of downloads and then it took you from like a basic level to like the pro level to enterprise for example uh -huh. and if i remember right it's like under twenty thousand downloads a month and then 50 up to fifty thousand downloads a month and then higher than that so um so i go with castos they do a good job eventually i like met the founder and i've interviewed him before oh. so he's a good guy and i like what they're doing and they have a different you know every company has a little bit of a different take but it's yeah. a um i think it's a commodity at this point and there's a lot of companies out there and i think if you find one that you like then you know stick with it um one thing that i maybe would consider is the companies that allow you to do dynamic ad insertion and i think there's only a couple of them 
so uh-huh. that you know if you're going with an ad based model then that makes sense because then you can uh you know retroactively have an ad campaign and it'll be inserted into your all your old shows which is pretty okay. cool okay okay that's that's interesting and can you share how many downloads per month do you get or sure so i think it's about for the Doug show it's about 20,000 or so Something like that it goes up and down. So 20,000. And then for my other show, um, which is called Mile High Fi, it's the personal finance one. I think that is closer to 30 or 35,000 downloads per month. Mm-hmm. Something like that. And both shows are, I publish two shows per week on each one of those. Okay. So can you tell the audience more about your other show? Sure. I think yeah. it's quite, quite new from what I remember, right? relatively it is um time flies so we started it it's been a year and a half yeah and so relatively yeah yeah it's, it's younger yeah i remember i remember when and you started yeah it is um and i was gonna say we have like over 100 episodes at this point so mm-hmm. um like i said personal finance and financial independence and that's one of my other interests so i live in a town called longmont and one of my uh, friends in town here. He retired when he was 43, about five mm. years ago. Nice. And there's a whole community of people that retired early around here. And actually, like, I just, we moved here because it was a good location to where my wife worked. And basically, we moved into this place where a lot of people try to move now because of the community, because there's a lot of people that are, you know, in their 30s or 40s that have retired and maybe they do something on the side like me or maybe they keep working you know usually people actually stop working but in some way they um you know they're usually doing a little something there's very few people that literally are earning no money Mm -hmm. um but they they quit their corporate job and they don't have to work if they don't want to that's the whole idea so I got introduced into this community and, you know, kind of knew a a couple of the topic areas um, and then realized after moving here, like, oh, yeah, like we we did this after, you know, several years we hit financial independence and like work is optional at that point. So some of the big names that people may have seen or heard, um, you know, one is Mr. Money Mustache. So he was on a Tim Ferriss uh, podcast episode I think in 2017 and I listened to it and actually a lot of people heard that episode it was a very popular one as far as I know and I had already heard of Mr. Money Mustache because we read a blog post about investing and then you know never paid much attention to it but that like really um, I guess that in like national news coverage like made the fire uh, financial independence mm-hmm. retire early become like sort of mainstream and more popular so it grew a lot there's a little bit of a a lull in interest but you know the the markets are down right now at least when we're recording and there's inflation and blah 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 so the markets are tougher and people have less interest but for the past um basically from like 2010 to 2020 one the market grew uh, a ton in just stock market in general so mm-hmm. so we talk a lot about really post financial independence so we're talking about what we know and what we're interested in there's a lot of other shows that talk about like the basic mechanics and like you know budgeting and like cutting cost and then investing and some of the basics but like we're past that and we kind of we don't enjoy talking about the other stuff as much. We do. I mean, we understand the concepts, but we're not trying to teach people that stuff because it's been covered elsewhere so well. So we're doing interviews with people that maybe they're about to retire. Maybe they just mm-hmm. retired. Maybe they've been retired for a few years. So it's it's kind of like an advanced level of the discussion uh, versus like the, the very basic ideas. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. And how about your courses? Can you tell me more about your courses? How many do you have? When are they open? Because I think you open a course once a year, right? Yep. Yep. So I have, I think, five courses technically. 
So, uh-huh. you know, the main flagship course is multi-profit site. And that takes you start to finish from like creating a niche site. So even brainstorming keyword research, uh, putting the site together, content, writing it, hiring people, doing link building, uh, further promotion and that sort uh-huh. of thing. So it covers all of that. And then I have a couple smaller courses. I mean, they still have, you know, three to five units in there with a few lessons, but one's on Haro link building. Another is on what to do basically when your site's stuck. And that uh-huh. is called site growth plan. There's one on productivity, which is a sort of a, a pet interest that I have. And then I feel like there's one other one, but I can't remember right now. So some of the uh, smaller courses that just teach one thing, those are sometimes open for a few months at a time. Um, and then multi-profit site, I open up four times a year. So it's a quarterly launch. And I do that for um, partially management of the people going through the course. So it's easier if, if a handful of people start all at one time. And then I could answer the questions that they have for support. It's just me. So I don't Uh have like a team or anything. So it's just easier if I can work with a group of people. It's all pre-recorded, but people have questions as they're going through the course material. And then Uh the, the other thing is from a marketing standpoint, scarcity is a really powerful selling tool. So by launching four times a year and having like a limited window when you could purchase, people have to make a decision either they they want the course or they don't but that is a you know part of it is marketing to do that uh-huh and how how do you promote those courses through your newsletter yep yeah so it's almost exclusively via email and uh-huh. i have tried to do a little bit more of a you know like a launch uh, via youtube which is the other big audience area it usually hasn't taken very well um, uh-huh. overall. And I think part of it is like in in my group of peers, it's almost all like free information. So that audience is great, but like Alex at WP Eagle, he doesn't sell any courses. He makes money from uh, you know, probably YouTube ads. I'm not sure if he's running ads. Um, and then he has affiliate deals so he can make money by just showing how to do something and say like, Oh, use this hosting, use these tools, uh-huh. um, yeah. and do this stuff. And I I'm selling, uh, the, the course and the, the framework. So it's a different business model than some of our other friends, right? They have content agencies or link building agencies. So again, they could show you how to, they could show you how to do all this stuff and say, Oh. Well, if you want to make it easier, just hire us. So uh-huh. different business models. And, you know, that's one thing to sort of navigate where, you know, I have this intellectual property of the course and the framework and access to me. And then they they have their mechanisms, affiliate marketing or maybe an agency. So it's interesting to look at that. But when it comes down to it, like I said, on the YouTube side, I could say, oh, I show you how to do all this stuff. But like potentially right they could just go to alex's channel and then like learn similar stuff and just do Uh it a little bit different and then ask alex on his you know two live streams per week and he'll Uh just answer you know answer the question so it's it's totally different it does it makes it a little tougher um since a lot of the audience does come from a place where like all the information is free the problem is um there's too much stuff on youtube So number one, you're distracted. And then, you know, technically, right. If it's not vetted, uh, for example, like Alex's stuff, he's like working on things live. You get to see what he's doing. Sometimes Mm -hmm. he'll do something that he, and I'm not picking on Alex specifically, could be anyone, but if you're watching someone work on a live case study, that's not tested yet. Mm -hmm. So they may go a few weeks and then say, Oh, actually that plugin is terrible. I, I shouldn't use that plugin. And then you have yeah. to go back and choose. Or it could be like, this link building company is great. And then the link building company is not great after mm-hmm. a few weeks of experience. So <laughs> it turns that, out. Yeah. yeah, that's the issue with, you know, following along a uh, live case study or, you know, just 
on YouTube, there's too much. So even if you can get the information, there's no framework around it. It's just a bunch of random stuff constantly being you know thrown at you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, another question. Can you like share some uh, beginner tips ar around affiliate marketing niche websites? So let's say I, I have, I heard there is such a thing. I want to get started. What do I do? I buy your course and what else can I do? <laughs> yeah, sure. I would say find, find someone that you trust and it could be, you know, blog, podcast, YouTube, find someone that you trust. You like their style and you can see that they know what they're doing, right? There's different ways to illustrate this. Um, it could be, you know, a case study that they've done. Maybe like for me, one thing that I try to showcase more now is students who have taken my course. So I can uh -huh. tell you what I've done, but it's, it's not as compelling. I believe it's not as compelling because I've been doing this for like 10 years now, right? So it's more interesting for someone to see a student who didn't know anything took the course and then made it out so i try to share those those kind of mm -hmm. stories um so find someone you trust follow along with their kind of framework or you know business model in general don't skip around to a bunch of different people um this i i've seen this a lot so uh -huh. if you find you know, five different people that are working kind of on the same stuff, these authority niche site kind of business models, you may think it's good. I'm going to get information from all these people as I'm learning. And I mean, I kind of did that. But what you might do is accidentally cherry pick stuff from each one of them. Uh -huh. It just doesn't go together and it doesn't work. So I, I think you really should like go through a full project cycle following one person's business model. And then after you've done that, then you can go and maybe pick some stuff because you know a few things. But when you don't know anything and you try to pick a bunch of individual uh, strategies, there's a pretty good chance like even if they could go together, like you're going to do it in the wrong order, you're going to make a little mistake. And it's just going to make it that much harder to figure out what you're doing wrong. So find someone, find a business model, go through like one project cycle, and then maybe you, you can experiment. Uh -huh. The other okay. part is mindset. And it's like, it's going to take longer than you think. So however long you think it is, it'll take two or three times as long. <laughs> it'll take two or three times as much effort as well. So like I try to really convey that in the podcast and, and YouTube and stuff, but it still it still uh, surprises me that people think it's going to be really, really fast. So if you have a long timeline, uh, a long vision, like you're going to be okay. But if you think you're going to be able to like make a thousand bucks a month in, you know, one or two months from one of these sites, I don't think you can do it. Like you can do it in other business models, but you, you can't do it um, via like Google SEO. I don't think. What, what yeah. do you think? Can, can someone yeah. kick up a site really quick? It may happen sometimes that something goes viral, but I would say this is like not, it is rather a huge exception than the rule. Usually I, I agree totally that you have to spend some, some time for me, it also took at least double the amount I, of time I expected it would take me. And still, like with everything, I, I wanted to launch uh, the podcast like uh, half a year ago initially. But yeah, <laughs> it just took longer. And, and it's like, it's totally, totally that. But I think, yeah, you, we, we just have to like accept that it will take some time. And the same, I think, with uh, looking at your subscribers. It is, I don't think it is a point in checking your subscribers every day. Oh, I have 10 new, 50 new, you just have to like keep doing what you're doing. And right. And yeah, and they will come hopefully. Yeah, if you keep doing it. Well, and that, that is one thing that I have learned, at least on the content production side, it might be a little, I mean, it is different if you're looking to get your traffic from organic SEO, but we all have uh, 
we all have personalities. I was just going to say weird personalities. We all have personalities. They're all a little bit weird. The good part is there's a lot of people in the world. And if you do, you know, keep uh, producing a, a YouTube video each week or a podcast or whatever, you know, you may have to do a little marketing, but like probably you'll find your audience are probably out there, even if you're a little weird and quirky, not you, Olga, specifically, but <laughs> a person. Um, and it, part of it is just like sticking around and like doing it longer than other people. Yeah. Yeah. To totally agree. Yeah. Totally agree. And uh, what are some of the maybe more advanced like tips you can you can share maybe one advanced tip when it comes to like this affiliate SEO thing. Ooh, Some secret. Yeah. yeah, there's so actually that's one of the secrets. There's no secrets. There's no <laughs> real shortcuts. I think yeah. probably probably with everything. If you you know if someone has a little uh, secret or shortcut, it's probably they were a writer for ten years that that is actually one of the shortcuts so i see a high level of success from people that write well and write their own content and take as much time as it it needs to take so that that is one of the issues again like you know there's agencies are like oh we could publish you know 100 articles a month for you it'll cost you for sure but you know, they can do it. They could publish a ton for you, but they're just hiring like random writers that don't know anything about what you're trying to build your site on. So it could be passable, maybe, but if it's something deep in the weeds, they're not going to know. And it's just probably not going to work out as good as you, you know, think or whatever they're promising you. And, and that's the other thing. I mean, the agencies, I have a lot of friends who have agencies, so hopefully uh -huh. um, they don't get too mad at me. But I say this kind of stuff all the time. It's like asking a barber if you need a haircut. Of course, they're like, yeah, like keep publishing, you know, keep paying $150 per article. Uh, of, of course, that's what they're going to say. They're earning yeah. money from it. So you have to make sure you understand like what their incentives and motivation is and are. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. but um a little bit on the advanced topic. So one thing that I did learn in my corporate job was um, like hiring a team and scaling and like training. So that is one area that I'm, I'm very good at because I learned like with, you know, professionals and I learned from people ahead of me. And I think having very, um, very clear expectations on someone's role very helpful and having very mm -hmm. clear like job aids so you know whatever it is you'll hear people call them uh standard operating procedures sops but essentially it's just like we do this activity this way and here's all the steps and this is how everyone does it and that could be you know uh outreach and link building it could be related to content it could be related to formatting and one of the ways that you can have a really um tight very concise a good job aid and this is exactly what i've done you know you, you write it out as best you can but then you have your uh, team your vas go through it you know they're using it and then if they ever have a question they leave a comment in there so i use google docs mm -hmm. and they would leave a comment and then i have to figure out how to make it more clear how to make it more concise and less confusing whatever it is and that way every person that goes through it can leave a comment so it's in you know, continuous improvement process. And by the time you have probably you know, five to 10 people go through it, they've asked most of the questions. And then you just have mm. a really good document that has been iterated upon input from multiple people without having to, you know, think back to the corporate days where we would have like a document review. We'd have like uh -huh. 10 people in a room and then it would take forever to go through because there's you know, people trying to talk and there's politics, but if it's just one person at a time that's actually trying to use the document, they can just leave their comment there and then you can fix it. And then another person comes through and they won't ask the same question because you fixed it. So that's, that's a really good way to do, uh, you know, continuous improvement process with input from multiple people that don't have the same background and like understanding. They're not experts. Like they, they're learning from the document. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great tip. Okay. 
Okay, so Doug, where can people find you? What's the best place to? Sure. So I would say head over to uh, the podcast platform of your choice and you can find my affiliate marketing and side hustle show. It's called The Doug Show um, on any of those platforms. So check it out if you're listening. If you're over on the YouTube side, you can go over to YouTube. It's the Doug Cunnington channel. So it's just Doug Cunnington. You should be able to find that. If you are interested in the financial independence area and the personal finance, that's called Mile High Fi. And you could find that again, same places, any, any podcast directory and over on YouTube. If you like the written word, you can go over to nichesiteproject.com and sign up for the email list. And I have like all my templates and systems and I point you towards the, uh, you know, the content that I have out there as well as anything new that I publish on the niche site project side of the house. Okay. Okay. Thanks. So thank you for, for having time and for spending this hour with me. I learned a lot, even though I've been listening to you for, for I think two years now, probably I still learned a ton of new things from you. So, so thanks. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me and I uh, really appreciate it. Yeah. So, so thanks. Thanks everyone. And see you in the next episode. Bye-bye.